We're in Nehemiah 8. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, you can start turning to Nehemiah 8. And uh, we're coming to the end. It's like the culmination of our preaching series. And we've done a journey together, haven't we? Oh, we've done a journey together. We started with a, a holy discontentment many weeks ago, if you remember that, where God stirs something and he just doesn't let it go. And we were praying then. Um, we, we heard about uh, radical faith and how Nehemiah had had this stirring from God, but then had actually acted upon it and had started believing and being brave and stepping out in faith. Um, we heard of the journey back to, uh, to rebuild the walls and how there was opposition both on the way and especially when they got there and how actually in our Christian walks, it's not that the enemy just looks at it and goes, wow, you're so sincere. You're just such a lovely group of people. I'll lay off them. I won't challenge them. No, the enemy, his name, Satan, means the accuser. And so that's when opposition begins. Uh, we are in opposition. And, and today, it's really the journey has got to this place where we see something wonderful happen. It's a moment where God seems to pour out his pleasure and joy and uh, it's kind of like an early example of revival in God's people. And, and I love looking at this. I love reading stories of revival. I really do. Ever since I was young, I remember picking up when I was quite little in my early teens, the Azusa Street stories. Anyone read that? I remember reading some of these stories of, of how the fire brigade was called on multiple occasions because of a fire seen on top of this building. Yet when the fire brigade came there, there was no fire and everyone just realized, this must be God. It must be what happened in Acts, where the Spirit came down like fire, like tongues of fire on people, but it must be happening here in a greater way. And there were just these stories that I would read, and I would just be like, wow, imagine being a part of that. Imagine that. Imagine all of the mess that comes with it. I mean, sometimes we romanticize about times of revival, but if you've looked at it or experienced it, you know, actually, it's really challenging really, really challenging. I think I'll always be amazed at how God's grace interrupts this world that he made, how his mercy flows, how he's so, so kind, how his grace comes, and then genuine world change comes from these revivals. Some revivals spark off an awareness and a care for the poor, which has been taken for granted for, for a long, long time. And it just changes. Social action just changes. Revival brings lasting change. And I love reading that. And it seems to bring change, even though the people involved seem to be weak and wayward. Isn't that good news? You read all of the, the stories of revival, and you think, why did you then do that? You've seen these things. Why did you behave like that? Or why did you do that? Or why this? But God seems to be merciful in spite of his people. He actually really, really loves us. Revival's a bit of a funny subject. I think it's distant enough for many of us that it's kind of thrilling, kind of exciting, kind of gets you going and you think, oh, yeah, I'd like that. But it's, it's also vague enough that we pray for it in that kind of vague way. It's distant enough to, to not trouble us as well. It's not close enough that it's going to, you know, rework some things in our lives. It's kind of got that distance, but it's still exciting enough to pray for. I think when God comes in revival, he's, he's a weighty thing that disrupts church life and disrupts social norms and disrupts society. And that's why it looks different in everything you read. You see, culture is different now. There are different challenges, different things opposing God's voice at the moment. So if God comes in in power, it disrupts in a new way. 
you can't look at an old revival and think, oh, I wish it would be just like that, because it's not quite the same anymore. But when God comes in, he is of a greater substance than anything we have, and so he disrupts. He's a weightier, weightier thing. We're going to see how some of the facts of revival happen, some of the faith and then some of the feelings all play their part in this revival in Nehemiah that we read. Fact, faith, and feelings all have their part in this. And I want to say right at the beginning, revival's in the air. Revival is in the air. And, and we'll see it's because of, not just because of feelings that we drum up, but because of some of the fact of what we find in the Word of God, but we'll get there. So just as Ezra did on this day that we're going to read about, I'm going to ask whether, if you're able, whether you would stand as we read Scripture today, because there's something about it that even as we do so, I think we're going to connect with something of the Scripture that they did. And just to say, it will, it's, a, it's quite a, a large portion. You'll be able to see it on the screens or in your Bibles, and I'll read it. Um, and it could take four to five minutes. I just want to prepare you for that. But I do want to say, just beware that on the day, it was about six hours of public standing up and Scripture being read. That, that's what happens on this day. Like the first day, they read for six-ish hours Scripture, and they were stood in amazement. So I, I, I'm hoping we can do four to five minutes, as I suppose <laughs> what I'm saying. So shall we stand? This is Nehemiah 8. Just take a drink. Feel free to listen or read with me, follow on the screen. Wow. Ezra reads the law is what it's entitled. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that he had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mathia, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Helikiah, and Masariah, and on his right hand, Pediah, Mishael, Malachi, Hesham, Hashbandiah, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book on the, in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen. Amen, lifting up their hands and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Verse 9, and Nehemiah who was governor and Ezra the priest and scribe and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, go your way, eat, and eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy, do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink, and to send portions, and to make great rejoicing, because they had understood the words that were declared to them. On the second day, 
the heads of fathers' houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded Moses by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm and other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. Chapter 9, titled, The People of Israel Confess Their Sin. Now, on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all the foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood in, up in place, in their place, and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of it, they made confession and worshipped the Lord their God. Verse 28, the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding, join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our Lord as his rules and his statutes. We will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. And if the peoples of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or any holy day. And we will forego the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. While we're standing in this place, I'd just love us to give a prayer offer up in a prayer individually something like Lord do it again something like God refresh again your word in our midst something like in our situation Lord in my life would you refresh some of the passion and zeal I see here should we just go for a minute Heavenly Father, Lord, we just pray in this place. Lord, we don't want to read the word of God and not be moved, not be changed. Lord, we ask, would you do the same again? Lord God, you have interrupted, Lord, world situation. You have interrupted our lives time and time again, and we invite you again. Do it again, Lord. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Lord, don't let us carry on as if nothing has changed. Lord, your word transforms and renews and restores. So we invite you. Yes, Lord, we invite you as a people to come and to speak. Lord, and we say, revival's in the air. Do it again, Lord. Do it again in our day, in our time. Make it known, Lord. In this day, in this place, Heavenly Father, we ask, we seek, Lord. We say, don't pass by, Lord, without us receiving everything you have in our time. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Take your seats. I hope something of the day, the day, kind of came across as you stood and, and you recognized something of the weightiness of what happened here, something of the journey they've been on and then arrived in this place. What is revival? Well, today I'm going to take quite a broad use of the, of the word revival. You, you may have heard it said revival means specifically this or specifically that, and I want to take quite a broad uh, approach to what does revival mean? And in my mind was kind of the prayer we pray from the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done. 
And in my mind, revival is kind of a quick, swift reply from heaven on that prayer. It's like a a yes and let's do this kind of answer to that prayer of your kingdom come, your will be done. Martin Lloyd-Jones would put it like this, and I'd also agree, a large group of people being filled afresh with the Spirit. This could be a church, a region, or a country resulting in lasting change of holiness. He captures something of, this this is a God thing done in his people, and it lasts We're going to uncover through Nehemiah, I hope, God's grace, four signs, four four confirming works that revival is going on, that true godly revival is going on as we read uh, Nehemiah's passage. And they do include elements of faith and, and feeling and fact. By talking about revival today, I'm not suggesting that we're going to go on a feeling whirlwind And then next week we'll be back to the word of God and we'll be sensible again. No, because I I really believe that that true revival is based on fact. It's based on circumstance. It's based on, ultimately, we'll see the goodness of God and the faithfulness of him and the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That fact, that that foundation is what it's based on. So it's not a moment to just drum up hype and, and feelings. Yet we'll see feelings seem to play a part in this revival. Here's an old rhyme that describe the relationship between facts and faith and feelings and how they work together. It's an old rhyme, I'll read it to you. Three men were walking on a wall, feeling, fact, and faith. When feeling took an awful fall and faith was taken back, so close was faith to feeling, he stumbled and fell too. But fact remained and pulled faith back and faith brought feeling too. Faith was leading, feeling was leading the way with faith close behind him and fact at the rear. Feeling had nothing to focus on, so he stumbled and fell off the wall. Faith was following feeling, hugely influenced by him, and when feeling fell, he fell too because his focus was on feeling. Fact only had eyes on the goal, and when he saw his friends fall, he rescued them. From then on, fact led the way with faith behind and feeling bringing up the rear and all was well. This little old-fashioned rhyme I came across, and I thought, wow, doesn't that describe something of the journey that all three of these friends, I like the fact it describes them, not one's an outcast, don't trust feeling again, you know, saw where he got us. No, these three friends were on a journey, yet fact leads the way. So as we go through this story of restoration, I want us to see the journey of these three uh, at work in Nehemiah. So the four signs of revival that we draw out of this story today. Number one is where the word, lowercase, becomes the word, uppercase. It's like the word is seen as being scripture and God-breathed and and all the people say, yes, 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 but it's a bit old-fashioned. It doesn't really have much relevance anymore. And all of a sudden, it becomes the word, uppercase. Just as an illustration, uh, this is the smallest Bible I could find. And it's like it goes from being this... It's like, you, you lay this down, it's like, yeah, that's, that's quite a Bible, isn't it? I'll just, I'll just read from the Bible now. You know, it's like the word goes from being, from being the word to being the word. So here are some excerpts. Verse 1, they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses. Wow, suddenly they want to hear from this book. Verse 3, all the people were attentive to the book of the law. 
It wasn't just being read against their will. It was like they were attentive to it. Verse 9, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Verse 13, and the Levites came together to Ezra, the scribe, in order to study the words of the law. Tell us more about it. And then 9, verse 3, and they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord, their God, for a quarter of a day. For another quarter of it, they made confessions and worshipped the Lord, their God. You kind of see how something that was, yeah, like I say, outdated, irrelevant, really doesn't have much to say. Like, we believe it, but yeah, we're not going to suddenly becomes, I'm going to read this for a quarter of a day. And then I'm going to the next day come and say, teach me, what does it say? And we're going to now read it and stand and hear it read for a quarter of a day. In a moment, it was like, it goes from irrelevant to being, again, having a beating heart. The fact, the word of God. Suddenly, it's like the word of God is like truth, fact in their lives. And I was kind of thinking about this, and I I was thinking it's a little bit like when God spoke to the universe, universe and said, let there be light. And the universe responds, and there is light. It's like the word of God is fact. It's true. It's weighty. And in revival times, the people of God suddenly grab hold of it and go, wow, it's gone from being the word to being the word of God in our midst. There are some church traditions, popular cultural church traditions at the moment, who would, instead of starting with the word of God as fact and going from that place, would start with feelings. And I think we need to be cautioned at this point. There's a warning here that we don't let, even the rhyme just tells, and we probably all recognize when we've been led by feelings, and it's like, oh, I've, yeah, fell off the wall again. That's because feelings, they're an important companion, but to let them lead will take us to all sorts of places. And I think there's a warning, even in this scripture today, that we let the word of God, the fact, the truth of God, dictate and lead our lives. Ezra reads, the people listen for six or so hours. Martin Luther, I was thinking of some of the past revivals or times, restorations, or times where God has moved and started something new. And you think of Martin Luther, and he's best known for this, his work in the Reformation. And the key part of this was establishing and finding the truth of Scripture again. It was like the Bible was seen as divine among other voices. Saints and the Pope and other things were going on. It was kind of seen as as equal. It was like the word, lowercase. And yet, at this time, it was like, no, it becomes the word, uppercase. It's set apart. Nothing else was seen as divine like Scripture. He restored some of the central teachings from Scripture at this time as well. Like, for instance, salvation by grace alone. Salvation by grace alone through faith, not by works. This was something that was uncovered, and it was like, again, the word of God came and was weighty and was mined for truth by believers. This is what happens when revival comes. So does scripture, here's the question, does scripture have any say in your life or how you conduct yourself? Does it have any weight in your life? Is it still the word, or is it the word of God? Fact, truth, worthy of shaping and leading your life. And maybe if you think, do you know what? If it was, it would probably have a greater say in my life, or I'd spend more time with it, or 
I think about that first when I get to a new situation. To be honest, I'm not sure it is. Then can I say, rather than just let's get down in the dumps and think, oh dear, first one we failed, let's just pray, revive me afresh. Just revive me. Lord, I want your word to be here and it's here. Revive me. Do this work that you do and you did in their time. Revive me. Had they worked hard at this? No, it was like suddenly a hunger had arisen. Lord, revive me. So that's number one. Number two of signs of revival, if number one is the word to the word, number two is this. Does anybody still do that, is what I've called it. I think in your notes, it's called godly patterns and behaviors are reinstated. I just got to yesterday, I was like, yawn, (laughs) you know, that, that doesn't say it. So does anybody still do that? I've called it that. Faith in the facts then follows. If facts lead the way and that's the word of God and it's establishing truth and the people go, yes, amen, amen, then faith in that has to follow. So as we walk the Christian walk, we can get over familiar with some stuff going on in our lives. And you can see general drifts and and trends in the church life. And yet when revival comes, it's like things that seem less important suddenly get revived and the church goes, actually, I feel like this is quite important. Maybe we should do the Sabbath. Or, you know, I feel like this is quite important. Maybe we should fast every now and again. Or, or maybe we should start praying a bit more. This seems to be good and, and godly. It's like the church reawakens some things that have kind of grown a little bit less. So we read in, in verse 14, and they found it written. So they started with a fact, the word of God. They found it written in the law that the Lord commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month. Interesting. They found it written in Scripture, and it wasn't like they went, yeah, but we don't do that anymore. Who's done that for... And actually, you find out they never really did it. It was spoken, but they never really obeyed that. But they find it written, and it's it's not that they go, oh, silly old Bible. So old-fashioned. You know, booths, they make these little tents to kind of celebrate the time where they went through the wilderness to remind themselves, and that's what they're doing. But they do it. They find it written, and so they obey it. Extraordinary. Then it says, um, chapter 9, verse 1, Now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth. Ah, guys, can you remember the last time we did fasting in sackcloth? No. (laughs) But they found it written. And it's like they suddenly things that didn't really, they don't, we don't do that anymore, do we? We don't fast anymore as the people of God. We don't have to. By grace, we've been saved. We don't have to do these things. And it's yet, yet as revival comes, it's like, but you get to do these things. Do you see that? You don't have to go out and stay in the tent. But if you do, you're going you're gonna to find something of the story of God as you stay in that booth that you didn't have before. You get to be a part of these things. In verse 2, It says they stood and they confessed their sins and the iniquities of their father. We don't do that anymore. Times of revival, they do. Times of revival, just spontaneously, you know, just saying, whether the preacher's preaching, feel free. But (laughs) you read times of revival and there would be suddenly, someone would start wailing. It's like the word of God's just cut them to the heart. Oh man, and I need to get right with God. Confession, prayer, sin, um, uh, sins given over to God, repentance happens. The last one for now, uh, it says in verse 31, and if the peoples of the land bring in any goods, this is while they're speaking together, they've entered this oath, remember? Um, 
if the people of the land bring in any goods or grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy it from them on the Sabbath or on any holy day. Suddenly the Sabbath. Do we do that? Do we do that anymore? Well, in revival times, these things come back to life. And actually, yes, the people of God retake hold of what has been offered to them. You see, you suddenly find in times of revival that it's not God being a meanie saying, why don't you take a rest on the seventh day? It's because he loves you. It's because he's thinking of the third week where you work all day, every day, and he's thinking, you're just not going to be able to do that. So let's establish a rhythm of rest and recovery. And there's something about the Sabbath day, which is also holy to God. It's not just a day on the Xbox. It's a day, something of it that's holy to God. Maybe think about the game that you can play on the Xbox. You see, it was in the Welsh revival where patterns and behaviours changed. And it wasn't because suddenly they worked really hard at it. It was because God instilled on them. It was a time where God was refreshing and revival was coming. So for them, there was a poor mining community. And God was moving amongst the poor. And he was moving in such a way that even their speech changed. You see, they used to control the donkeys and those that would work in the mines with swear words, blasphemy. And they used to just cussing all the time. It was, it was just how they spoke. Yet when they were saved, born again, and revival was moving, they didn't use those words anymore. Now that caused a bit of a problem because none of the donkeys could understand them saying, please come this way, or whatever they changed to. They had to re, this is true, you find it, in, they had to retrain the animals to respond to different commands. Extraordinary. Not because suddenly, oh, re- stop swearing, yeah, Dan told me to stop swearing. No, invited into new language, new freedom, just don't use that anymore. When you blaspheme, you don't know the word you're using when you use God's name in vain. He's Yahweh, and so we stop using it like that. Amazing. Um, Again, if I get to the end of this one, and just some of those old patterns that don't make sense anymore, and you're going, yeah, I kind of, I don't do that. I don't do that. I don't know why. Just pray, Lord, revive me. Lord, revive me. Lord, come, move afresh. Number three. You're coming back to the heart of worship. Thanks, Mr. Matt Redman. Coming back to the heart of worship, what it's really about, how it really starts, the fact that it really is God first. It's not, it's not like I feature so little, like a grain of sand on the beach. He's the one we look at, all of us, for all eternity. So it says, for another quarter of the day, they made the confessions and worshipped the Lord their God. For a quarter of the day. Wow. Worship and confession intermingled, times where they were just exalting God, times where they went, oh, God, you're laying your finger on something, let me deal with that. Oh, back into exalting God. In AD 433, the Celtic king, uh, who was a pagan, had said the, the first fire of this year must be a fire that's lit to the God bell. And so this was supposed to be the first fire. No one could light a fire until this first fire had been lit In defiance, St. Patrick lit a fire to Christ Jesus, the true king. And this act of worship, this act of defiance, this act of started a revival through Ireland. It started a move of God because he was brought before the king. And actually on the way there, legend says that he had managed to convert a number of the nobles. But then he finds himself in front of the king. Although the king's not pleased, he gives permission that Jesus Christ can be preached in that land. And so he does, and he goes out and he preaches because of worship. And it reminded me of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
They were going to be killed, weren't they? Put in the flaming fire. What was it over? Worship. They wouldn't bow down to their, their God made of stone and stuff. They wouldn't bow down. They only bowed down to Yahweh. True worship is reestablished. We're coming back to the heart of worship, where it's about him and what he's done, and he's glorious, and he's wonderful, and we can't stop talking about him. In times of revival, actually, new songs are written. It's like, we're going to sing the old ones, Amazing Grace, and, but it's like God's rewriting. There's times of new songs as well, and creativity. And then number four. So we're coming back to the heart of worship, and then number four, that what we find of genuine revival in the life of Nehemiah and the people of God is this. And I've robbed this from Bear Grylls' book, Blood, Sweat and Tears. I thought, that's a cool name. So this is called Affection, Snot and Tears. That's what I've called this final, po- final point. Affection, Snot and Tears. There's something about when the genuine work of God is, is moving that it, it, it compels and it changes things. So we've looked at fact, the word of God, the goodness of God, these things the church builds its life on. It doesn't change. He is faithful. And then we look at faith in that and the fact that we start doing some things. Maybe Sabbath doesn't make sense in our day, but God instituted its fact. It's there. So I'm going to put my faith in him and I'm going to reinstitute it in my life. And by faith, I'm going to walk in that, you see. And then feelings, they follow on as well. Feelings, they're important. They're important. In a world that's largely dictated by feelings, we do this because we feel we want to and we do this because it feels right, It's good news that also God cares about our feelings. So the first thing is that I noticed, it says that the people of God gathered. It doesn't say they were invited. Other times there's a word that goes out that brings the people of God in. It just said they gathered in the square. And this, I think, is something of the work of God when it's genuine. The work of the Spirit's obvious. People just gather. It's like they have all felt this this urge to be in one place and to come together at that time spontaneously. And so they do, and yet it turns out it's not spontaneous because God's inviting. And you read of this in the holiness revival. Suddenly, a community from all different places start getting arrested, feeling like, I've got to get right with God. What do I do? And so they just turn up at church, and there are queues, and each one's looking, why are you here? Oh, I've got to get right with God. Why are you here? Yeah, I feel I've got to get right with God. It's like something spontaneous. God's doing it. God is in the house. So far, the Israelites' feelings follow faith, which follows facts. You know, in other situations, you might point out, well, if someone isn't following God, and yet suddenly they feel, I've got to do this. It's like feeling started. But what we don't see is, actually, there was a people behind the scenes who had started praying earnestly for that. The Hebridean revival. You see these old folk who had started getting to the word and praying. Yes, other people have been kind of drawn in by their feelings, but it was based on the fact. It started with the word of God. It was based on him. Whilst feelings in our earlier story maybe got a bit of a bad reputation, um, don't trust them, terrible leaders, they're also really important to, to the other companions for joy along the journey, you know, for talking about the goodness of God along the journey. Feelings are a wonderful companion. They just can't lead, <laughs> They've got a different grace gift, if you like. Jonathan Edwards uh, said this, teachers will fall into grave error if they are for discarding all religious affections as having nothing solid or substantial in them. 
We need more than knowledge. We also need holy affection. What a wonderful way to put it, isn't it? We also need holy affection. In worship, we also want to just encounter the love of God, feel the warmth of his face on ours, meet with him, love him as he loves us. So it says, the Levites calm the people, saying, um, you know, uh, what was it? Something snot and tears. I can't remember. Um, <laughs> be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. You see, they, they were just grieved. They were flawed on the floor. They didn't know what to do with themselves. And, and so they're just crying and snotting all over the place. And uh, so the Levites are saying, no, no, calm, calm. This is God's doing this. So all the people went their own way to eat and drink and sent portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. They go from snot and on the floor and crying to suddenly like, oh, wow, okay, this is good, this is good. And then they're rejoicing, and and you see their holy affections. Both are wonderful, actually, to be in front of God and, and just be pouring out yourself. Yeah, I have got it wrong. That's also a holy affection, but so is the joy of the Lord. A story from the Hebridean revival caught my attention. Um, John White writes about this account. It says where a boat was traveling far past the Hebrides. They're going through their revival. And this fishing trawler is not meaning to stop. It's, it's going past. As it's traveling past, the sailors, not knowing what is happening, they feel overwhelmed by their sin. And so they have to pull into dock. Or I don't know what you do on a boat. <laughs> it's like a car. They, so they, they draw into dock because of the spontaneous conviction that they've all felt they have to go and find a church and hand themselves in and get right with God. Amazing. Times of revival, God uses and, and stirs up our affections. And where it starts with, I've got to just get right with him, it soon turns to joy and wonderful singing. So, as we conclude, band, would you guys join me? Today, I want to say again, revival is in the air. I want to say again, revival is in the air. We think first of the facts of what God has and is doing. First, the facts. Jesus has lived and died and been raised to life for the purpose of salvation for eternity, souls here on earth. That is it. He wants to win people and woo people and draw people into his kingdom, saving them from eternal darkness. That's the fact. That's why he did it. God desires that none should purpose, none should perish, but all should have eternal life. It's a fact. This is what scripture says, and we're basing our lives on the fact. God says none should perish. That's his desire, that you and I are saved by grace through faith alone so that we can have eternal life with God. Fact. That we may be saved so that we can have life to the full. This is what scripture says, that we can have full joy, full peace, that we can know him, love him, experience him, have a hope of eternity as well. Fact. That if we should ask God that he would pour out his spirit afresh today, that's what it says in the word of God. Of course he will want to pour out his spirit to those who ask God. So we say, come Lord Jesus, these facts that we're reading. That if we, God's children, would turn from our wicked ways, if we would pray and seek his face and be humble before him, then he will once again heal our land and pour out his spirit. Fact, these things are the word of God, friends. In fact, we were reminded this morning that Jesus looked out and he said, the harvest is plentiful. Didn't he? Fact, the harvest is plentiful. 
Do we see things as God sees them? Following fact. Following these biblical facts, faith should follow. Faith in God that he will do what he's promised. That he is able to, he is strong to, his arm is not too weak. Faith should follow. Faith should be igniting in the room right now. When we hear of the promises of God, we should be igniting faith that God will heal our land. Faith that in Jesus you were and are and always will be set free. True. Fact. Faith that as we repent, as we seek God, as we humble ourselves, that he will revive our land and he will revive our church and he will revive your life. Faith in the facts. Do you see how this works? And then, as Jonathan Edwards puts it, would holy affections rise? Would holy affections then respond to the facts and the faith? Would holy affections then come? Would we not remain unmoved? Would we not remain sort of still a bit casual about it all? No, allow ourselves to come into the fullness of worship. So we say this morning together, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Lord, we've heard of your fame and heard of your deeds in these days. And we say, do it again now, today, in our day. Lord, revival's in the air. Lord, we believe this is in your will. We believe that you love to save. We believe that you love to restore and restory us. We believe that you love to do these things. And so we put our faith in you. We put our faith and our trust in you. Lord, and we ask, do it again. Heavenly Father, Lord, would holy affections today be impacted? Lord, we say knowledge is not enough. It's not enough. Lord, we start on the facts of God, yes, and we want to learn and diligently, but we want to be moved by God. Lord, so we ask, move in our midst as we worship. In the name of Jesus, amen. Hey, my name's Dan Baptist and I'm lead pastor here at Jubilee Community Church. We really hope that something from this morning's word has blessed you and reached you. And if you'd like to talk about anything you've heard or just be able to talk about maybe faith or get some prayer, then please get in contact. You can email us, give us a call at the centre and one of the team's going to get back to you. We'd love to do this, especially if you're just thinking about what it is to become a Christian. You want to sit down and really talk that through with anyone. We also run regularly on a Sunday some joining the church courses. And if you want to know more about Jubilee Community Church and what it is to belong here, then you can just uh, find out online when the next one of those is going on and you can attend, have a meal, sit down, talk about it. We also have some amazing midweek group life uh, where it's a great opportunity to dig further into your faith. Again, you can find out that on our website too. Anyway, just wanted to say hi and uh, bless you and we'll catch up soon.